Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 8th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, What a Loving God Does, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. It's hard to be grateful when you're staring into the abyss of suffering when there's a medical diagnosis that derails your future plans or a child that is forever taken from your arms, when you change the diapers of your parents and they can't even remember who you are. It is human nature to try and find a correlation between bad behavior and bad circumstance. Suffering is in fact for our good. In fact, we know that God tests our faith so that we will grow in perseverance, so that we will grow in our trust and our dependence upon the person of Jesus Christ. Suffering that is not rightly focused on Jesus Christ will ultimately separate us from our God, and it will cheat us out of the intended purpose of receiving God's grace. And this suffering, this light and momentary affliction that you are going through in this world, in this fallen world, doesn't even compare to the glory that is to be revealed in him. Amen? You know, this morning we're going to be looking about how God, in the midst of our suffering, transforms the bad things that happen to us, the things that are meant to destroy us and wound us into something redeeming and even good. My prayer is that we will see what Paul wants the Romans to see, that our God is at work in the lives of his children, even through the sufferings of this present life. In the context here in Romans chapter eight, if you've been around for a couple of weeks, you realize that we've gotten into realizing that there are some suffering that goes on living in this life. It's not easy. Important enough that the Father would give the Holy Spirit to us to live inside of us to help us to walk this new life, to get through it all. In fact, here in chapter 8, he tells us in verse 26 that he gives the Holy Spirit to pray for us, and the Holy Spirit does. It's an amazing truth that within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is a deeper level of communication on our behalf that they have. Verse 26 calls it groanings that are too deep for words. Now, our passage this morning has one of those verses that gets quoted a lot. You know, it's a, because it's incredibly encouraging that that God, it says, it makes all things work together for good that them that love God and are called according to his purpose. We love that verse. But if you take the next two verses after that and they begin to talk about something that's a little bit more difficult for some people to handle, and that is God's sovereignty. Not everybody's all excited about that one. For some people, it's the issue of autonomy. We don't like the idea that God is in control. In fact, which is a crazy thought. I mean, do you really want a God that only lives in reaction? How could we possibly have a God that created all things? No, people struggle with his control. They don't want someone else to be in control. We want someone, you know, that's not in control because we realize if someone else is in control, then that means I'm not in control and people don't like that. We don't want to be told what to do. We want total freedom. But if we're honest with ourselves, 
In this lifetime, we have very limited freedom. Very limited freedom. I mean, think about it for a second. You might say, hey, I want total and complete autonomy, you know, over my whole life. Really? Well, what if you decide you want to fly? Hmm? But you don't have an airplane or a glider or a parachute. I mean, could you just, you know, flap your arms, you know, like wings? Or you think you're going to fly? I mean, because if you think you're going to do that, go up to the roof and jump off. We'll see if you have autonomy or if the law of gravity works. Another issue is independence. We don't want to be dependent on anybody or indebted to anybody, but the truth is we are. A baby can't survive without her parents. None of us can survive without oxygen or food or water. But the biggest issue, the biggest issue when it comes to God's sovereignty is what we view as injustice is that people will stop and they'll say, well, if you say, well, God is sovereign and and God makes these choices, for a lot of people, they will stop and they will utter these words. Well, that's not fair. It's not fair. Really. We think it's fair when it benefits us. For example, did you know that injustices can be both good and bad? I'll give you a perfect example, God's grace. Did you realize God's grace is the greatest injustice there is in all the universe? Because in God's grace, God does not give you what you actually deserve. In fact, what he does is he gives you what you don't deserve. That's a total and complete injustice. And yet I don't hear anybody complain about that one. We like it when it benefits us. It's when we struggle is when it hurts. I mean, think back when you were a toddler and your parents you know, took you to the pediatrician and, and, and almost immediately he pulls out a needle that's about a foot long. And of course, you know, a submissive kid that you are, you just go ahead and do it. No, you, your parents are like, you know, you know, like that. And then he gives you that shot and it always seems like, I mean, it's not true. They actually just kind of do this, but it feels like they, you know, do that, you know. And, and immediately you're just struck with pain. And you're, you're crying and you don't, cannot understand why in the world did this person do this to me? And even better yet, why would my parents who claim to love me let this guy do this to me? Can't they see that it really hurts? I'm bleeding. I mean, if they truly loved me, they wouldn't let the doctor hurt me, right? The problem is, as a child, we cannot possibly understand the pain and the evil that polio really is. Okay, but what about when someone didn't actually mean something to protect me? What about when they meant to wound me and take advantage of me? You know, in the passage we're looking at this morning in verse 28, Paul says that all things work together for good. Now, I will tell you that some of those things are good things, but many and probably most are not. Many of those things meant to wound you or wound me. And if that's you, my prayer is that God would heal the wounds of your soul. And I want you to know that we're here to walk with you. We're here to listen 
We're here to pray with you and pray for you. We even have a whole ministry that's been designed for this called Stephen's Ministry that people have put in extensive hours and, and prepared themselves to simply come alongside of you and be there and walk with you through these difficult moments of life. And I would encourage you that if you're there right now, please call the office or, or stop by Info Central and we'll, we'll get that all set up. But hopefully in the middle of that wound and that sorrow, you will realize this is an opportunity to take the wounds that you have and to be able to minister to somebody else that is currently in that situation now. Scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God doesn't waste that. He uses that as an opportunity for us to minister to other people. You know, there's a couple of things here that you need to think through when it comes to this issue. The first one is, is that none of us know the micro end of the story yet. We know the macro end. We know that the Bible talks about the fact that one day we'll go to heaven and heaven is gonna be amazing and glorious and, anything, and beyond anything you could possibly imagine and Jesus is gonna be there and there's gonna be these wonderful things that's gonna happen. That's the macro version, but what about right now? We don't know all the things that will happen today, tomorrow, the next day. We don't know the micro things that will happen because we're still in the flesh. We're not in Jesus' presence yet. Secondly, we need to remember how God has so designed life. You know, when God designed our senses, he made it possible for us to experience the highest of highs. I mean, if you, on a nice day, you know, you can go outside and, and you open the door and you can walk down through your garden or something like that and you get this wonderful smell of flowers that are coming in bloom. Or you get the wonder of, of, of having this human touch in your life. If you've ever had that moment where, you know, you feel alone and you're like, like you're the only person there and, and maybe you're even afraid and then someone comes along and simply just puts an arm on you and it's better. I mean, the wonder of that is just absolutely amazing. Or to see your kids come along and, and do something great and, and you experience that exhilaration of victory. I mean, it is amazing. But in giving us that sense of amazing, God has also made our senses so that they would also experience the lowest of lows. And so if I walk by an open sewer, I know. I can smell it. You can feel the hurt of rejection. You know, when you're not the one chosen. Or the agony of defeat. See, our senses allow for both. I cannot appreciate the mountains without what? The valleys. The third thing here that you need to remember is that God isn't going to tell you all of the answers yet. If you keep your finger here in Romans and, and go over to the right to 1 Corinthians 13 for a second, let me show you something. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, Paul writes and he says this about things being clear and understanding here. He says this, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. When it, that statement there, I know in part, another way to read that would be, I only know a part. I don't know it all yet. I don't know everything. Not right now. 
God has designed life like that right now. And by the way, that's not just a, a, a New Testament thing. Back in, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29, Moses stopped in front of all the children of Israel and he said, I want you to understand something. God's not gonna give you all the answers. The secret things are of the Lord. There are certain things God's not going to tell you. You wanna know why? Because it requires me to have faith. I have to trust God. Now, if you stop and you go back to verse 12 again there in, in 1 Corinthians, you'll see the second part of that says, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So there will come a day when all of these things will be revealed to me. Every mystery that I do not completely understand, God will make clear one day. I will know as even as I'm known, and I'm known completely. It's just not that day right now. You say, well... Where does, that, where does that leave me right now? I've got these things I don't completely understand. Where does that leave me? It leaves you in a spot where we trust God. I place my trust in God. I trust that the God who loves me will take the wrong that is done to me and turn it into something redeeming, bring something redeeming out of it. Because that's exactly what Paul is telling us that God does here, but it requires faith. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So, okay, stay with me on this. If it's impossible to please God without faith, why would God put you into a spot in this life that you don't need faith? It's not gonna happen. God decided right now we are to trust him. Now, let's stop with that context in mind. Let's stop and read through the passage here. Romans chapter eight, starting verse 28. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he also called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, the first thing you're gonna see here in verse 28 is the fact that God cares. He cares deeply. Remember, the context here has been, we've been rolling through is the fact that we're going through this suffering in this life, and God hasn't even left us alone in that. God gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us to help us walk through this. But he stops and he says something very interesting here at the beginning of verse 28. And he says, and we know. It's the Greek term oida. And oida means we know without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, it's not even in question. We absolutely know. Well, what do we know? Well, I want you to go back for a second. If you go back to verse 26, Paul has told us that we can be so weighed down with life at this time and the suffering that we're having to go through that we don't even know how to pray. But then you get to verse 28, and this is what he says, but we have no doubt who is at work in our lives. Let me translate for that what it means. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he has you. He is at work in your life. Now, 
The unfortunate thing is that's probably not true of all of us here. And I wanna encourage you that if you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord, that maybe this is the morning that God would do that work in your life. Now, in verse 28 here, it's gonna tell us three things. The first thing it's gonna tell us is that God's plan for us is good. He says, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Not just a few things, but all things. Now, here's what you've gotta be careful of. Don't turn good, though, that word good, into the word happy. It does not say all things ultimately are gonna make you happy. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying here that God is gonna cause all of your plans to come out okay and and cause you to succeed and help you to realize all of your goals. Good here means that God will bring something redeeming out of what has been wronged in this life. You want an example of that? There is absolutely nothing good about Jesus dying on a cross. He suffered. They did horrible things to him. They stuck a spear through his heart. The pain was beyond measure. I mean, people didn't want to look. They didn't even go. I mean, it was so bad. You know what they came out of it? Redemption. He redeemed us who believe. He, He redeemed us. God took an evil, a wrong, a tragedy and turned it into something amazing. Now the second thing you see here in verse 28 is that God intercedes for his people. He says, and we know that from those who love God, all things work together for good. Those who love God. The promise isn't for everybody here. Those who love God would be those who would follow Christ. You know, Jesus would say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This would be believers. Now, let me make sure you understand how the context should read on this. The passage doesn't say all things are good. What it says is for the sake of the people that he loves, he will bring good out of it. Now, the third thing here that verse 28 tells us is that God's work fits with his plan. It is according to his purpose. That tells me that God takes something that is totally unjust and brings something that is totally undeserved out for a greater purpose in mind. Let me give you an example. If you have your Bible, turn over to the last chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. The end of Genesis is all about a guy named Joseph. Joseph was the second to last son of Jacob. He was hated by his brothers. Hated to the point that they literally wanted to kill him and take his life. And so they take him out one day and they can't decide. Nobody actually wants to be the one that pulls the trigger. So they throw him into this hole and they decide they're just gonna leave him there to die, you know, of hunger and starvation, the whole bit, you know, and, and leave him there. And then all of a sudden they notice this caravan going by and they thought, oh, Well, instead of him dying, why don't we just sell him to them? So he literally gets sold into slavery. They take him to Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, he gets falsely accused, and he gets thrown into an Egyptian prison. 
And yet God allowed all of that to take place to get him to the place that all Egypt would follow his leading. See, Joseph recognized that. Joseph, regardless of what his brothers had done, he realized that God had a greater purpose in all of this. Listen to what he says here in verse 20. Chapter 50, verse 20, the words of Joseph says, he says, for as for you, you meant evil against me, talking to his brothers. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God used Joseph to feed tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of people. People who were hungry and starving. Now here's really something important you need to catch, okay? Nothing that happened to Joseph was fair. Nothing that happened to Joseph was pleasant. But Joseph's perspective was, as he grew in his knowledge of God, realized God could take even an evil and a wrong done to him and do something great coming out of it. Boy, that's a deep level of understanding with the Lord. God's plan is ultimately for good, not for evil. Now, the second thing you see here in verse 29 has to do with our conformity. Look at what he says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the first, might, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, I will be conformed to the image of his son to, be, to grow more Christ-like, to be more like Jesus. Now, we need to understand how you get there. If you're gonna become more like Jesus, how do we get there? Well, he uses two words here, very important words. He uses the word foreknew and predestined. Foreknew means God knew us and everything for that matter perfectly. Foreknowledge is, is not a, a general term about knowledge. It's not a, a, a satellite flying over at 20 miles up taking a snapshot down that some expert is gonna take a look at. It's not that at all. Foreknowledge is an intimate knowledge. In fact, that word there for knowledge is often used in the context of marriage. When two people get married and they go in and they consummate the marriage, consummate the marriage, they, they, they know each other. God knows us intimately. And Psalm 139 tells us about God's knowledge. In verse one, it tells us that he searched me and he knows me. In verse four, it says, even before there was a word on my lips, he knows it. In verse six, it says, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. In other words, I cannot completely fathom the depth of all the things that God even knows. I just don't know it. And so foreknowledge is the fact that God knows everything completely. Now, here's where it becomes an issue because some people will read that and they'll say, well, I think what it is is God knows what I was gonna choose and then he just chooses me because I was going to choose him. So in other words, God is simply in response to me. Let me be really clear here. That is not what the passage says. If you look at every single passage about God's choosing, our choosing always follows his choosing. We follow him. 
Ephesians chapter one, verse four says, God chose us before the foundation of the world. Psalm 139 tells us that God's work in us existed even or even happened before we existed. It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in the book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now go back to Romans 8 for a minute. Go back to verse 29. It says, God not only knew us beforehand, he chose us beforehand. Can I just encourage you? When the Bible says something like this, believe it. Just believe what God's word says. Don't struggle and try to make it say something else. Believe it. Trust that God is in control. The details of life will one day be given to us. But the fact that we can celebrate the fact that our God is sovereign over all things is a good thing. I know that some people will go, yeah, but it just doesn't seem fair. No, let me tell you what's not fair. What's not fair is for me to make a judgment about things that I don't know all the issues. What's not fair is for me to decide what's fair. I don't know everything. There will come a day that I will when I stand before in heaven. Right now, my job is trust him. Trust him. Remember, the Bible tells us he's not gonna give us all the answers right now, so right now I'm supposed to stop and look at the character of God. I look back at his faithfulness. I look forward to his promises, and I trust him right now. God, you're sovereign. I'm gonna trust you. Verse 29 tells us that God's plan for us is to be conformed into the image of his son. Conformed means change. You know, sometimes in this life, we see people change over a period of time, and you know, very often it's not a good thing, but this is obviously a good change because we are becoming more Christ-like. Now, an important question you need to ask is this, is that true of me? Am I becoming more Christ-like? Because it's a pretty important thing that we do. You know, how you can tell is you can simply look at your life and see if the fruit of the Spirit is becoming more and more evident from your life. You can look at your life and go, look, are the issues of life, time, talent, treasures, have I submitted those things to the Lord? Because see, the goal of every believer ought to be to be Christ-like. And let me tell you why that's really important. Because I either pursue Christ-likeness on my own, or believer, this is really important that you catch this, or God will push you to be Christ-like. And you may not like that push. See, no one's gonna go into the kingdom that has not been changed into the image of Jesus. You're not the exception. Now the third thing he's gonna tell us here in verse 30 is God's plan. He said, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So you get the, prog- the progression there is predestination, called, justified, glorified. Predestination mean, or predestined means that God designed beforehand and he chose beforehand. 
called is, is not a human call. Call is a spiritual call that happened before you know, the foundation of the earth. I remember you know, Dr. Wayne Grudem in, in seminary, you know, him describing it like this. He says, this is the summons from the king of the universe. When? According to 2 Timothy 1.9, he says, He who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We're justified. That means declared righteous, free from guilt. We're glorified, which means we'll reach this ultimate state of a brand new body and being the person that God wants us to be. And in, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says there's this eternal weight of glory that is waiting for us. I don't know exactly what that all includes, but I'm telling you, if you hit the lottery here and you think that's a big deal, this is the heavenly lottery. You're gonna get everything. It's gonna be amazing. Well, the whole point here is, is that God is not done. Now he's done with his work. The passage shows us here that all of those things mentioned, predestined, called, justified, glorified, they're all past tense. They are absolutely done. God's work of salvation and glorification are completely done. His work of, of sanctification is in process because his Holy Spirit inside of you. But it's done. The Spirit lives inside of me to help me with all of that. Verse 30 speaks about God's goal for my life, him wanting to me to be changed. And by the way, that's the plan. Philippians chapter one, verse six tells us that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. If God is still at work, hopefully you are too. That's gonna be the issue. You see, God is going to deliver us into his presence, conformed into the image of the one he loves the most, which is Jesus. How many of you have grandkids? Anybody here? You know, I, I sometimes wonder if anybody's as crazy about their grandkids as I am. They, they don't seem to be able to do anything wrong ever around me. You ever thought about why we love our grandkids so much? It's because we look at them and we see our children in them. We look at them and we see our children in them. And so it is with God. What will make it possible for me to walk into heaven one day is the Father will look at me and see the Son, see Jesus. And the question is, Am I doing all that I can to be that person right now? If we're not, we've got work to do. God still is at work in our lives. I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and join me. I wanna encourage you that if you're looking at your life and you're saying, you know, I, I've had that period of time in my life where I've grown spiritually and, you know, I'm just not there right now. I'm just kind of busy with everything in life. You're a long ways away from being the person that God wants to walk into the kingdom. 
You see, I have to have the same heart that God wants. If the Father wants me to be like Christ, then I need to be like Christ. I need to be pursuing that on my own. Becoming who God wants me to be. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I wanna encourage you, there are gonna be some people down here at the end of the service will be right down front. They would love to be able to pray with you and sit and talk with you, whatever it is you need, but they are here to even lead you to the place where you can trust in Christ because the promise of scripture in Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if God is leading you to do that, you come. They'll be waiting here at the end. If you're a believer, you really need to begin to think about what is God calling you to do to grow in your faith and be the person that he wants you to be. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this morning you would move in our hearts see your great power, your great love and concern for us and your desire, God, to see us be transformed into the image of your son, conformed to the image of your son. Lord, so we could be pleasing to you. I pray that that would be our desire as well. We pray that we would give you that right to do whatever you want in our lives. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. The Father's goal, the Father's goal is for you to look like Jesus. Is that yours? Because it's probably gonna mean changes. All of us have to take steps in life to become more Christ-like. What is it that God is calling you to do? What is the one thing you're, like, you've been holding up on and you need to make that step? You need to give it over to the Lord. You can't hide it and hold on to it and lock it away thinking that I'm gonna keep this one for myself. It's not the way it works. The God who loves you enough to intercede in life and take the wounds that the world has brought and bring something wonderful and redeeming out of it. The God who is conforming you to be like his son, who had a plan from the very beginning to make you worthy, to stand before him in glory, is calling you to be his. I'm praying that this morning that you will decide I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna walk with him. I'm gonna be the person he wants me to be because I believe that God blesses the image that is closest to the son. Become like Jesus and watch what God does. God bless you. Love you all.